welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. He doesn't just hear about what happens, but he, he sees that this is an issue that I can be a part of the solution. It gets his attention. It gets his heart. Who's ever had a God burden before? Where God has, has shown you something, where you've seen something, where there's an issue maybe, where, there, where there's something that you see is going really well maybe, and it gets your attention. And then God speaks to you about that and, and gives you a burden for that certain group or that certain issue. You know, to have a burden for marriages, for people that, that, that have seen the destruction and the devastation that goes on in some marriages, and to have a burden to, to be part of helping to restore, helping to rebuild, helping to, to redeem what has taken place. Different people have uh, burdens for, for missions. Different people have burdens for different countries. Uh, Alter One. Alter One is a, a, an alternative education, a school that we actually run in this building. And the backstory of Alter One is that a couple of people had a burden for, for kids that didn't fit into mainstream schooling. And so they, they got together around the book of Nehemiah, I heard just the other week, and they said, we're going to do something to build something so that kids who, who don't fit into mainstream, they can have a place where they can belong, where they can grow, where they can be educated, where they can find purpose and identity, and they can find life. And it began with just a handful of of kids and now there's multiple cam- campuses across this state interstate thousands of students that have been touched by that program because someone had a burden because they saw something that was happening and they said we can't just watch on and let these kids just go off the track and go down this way we want to be part of the solution red frogs who's ever heard of the red frogs there's a few red froggers here. They, they, that, that started because someone had a burden. Someone saw a need. Someone saw an issue where they saw young people who were just going on schoolies week and they were uh, just wiping themselves out and they were getting into all sorts of trouble. And one person just said, I'm going to try and do something here. And that has become a network of people that is helping with a situation. Pay attention to what grabs your attention because maybe God is trying to get your attention. Maybe God is trying to draw your attention in that, in that direction so that you can move and be part of what he wants to bring into that. A God burden. I had a, a moment once at a, a Youth Alive um, conference where I saw, I actually took my younger sister to this Youth Alive conference and she'd been going through a whole heap of stuff. And at the end, someone gave an altar call, gave an invitation to follow Jesus. And she went forward to, this, to respond for this call. And I just started bawling my eyes out. And I don't cry that often. But this moved me so badly. It it, it just wrecked my heart to see, like in a good way, in a real good wrecking way, to see that my sister, you know, someone who had been through all of this stuff, uh, has responded. And so God spoke to me in that moment about being someone who helps young people to find Jesus. Because I saw what it meant to her and I saw what it meant to my family. And so from that point, I was involved in youth ministry. And, uh, and I still have that burden today, which is why I'm staying out until 11 o'clock cleaning toilets on a Friday after kids who have trashed them. It's not because I like doing those sorts of things. It's because I've got a burden to see young people encounter Jesus. And God did something in my heart in that, that moment that got my attention. 
Nehemiah hears about what's happened and it gets his attention that there's a need here. Our people are being disgraced. The, the walls are still broken down. The gates have been burnt and it gets his attention. What is it for you? What is it that God has put in your heart that maybe he's showing you now, that he's highlighting to you? Perhaps it's a return. We see that, that this story began with, with a burden as well. Zerubbabel had a burden to rebuild the temple. Ezra had a burden to bring back the law, to, to bring people back to the law. There were burdens in their hearts, things they saw that needed to take place that, that they could give their, their lives to. What is it for you? What is it that perhaps God is putting in your heart, even in this season? If you're unsure, maybe this is a time to just be open, to be paying attention to what's grabbing your attention. What, what, what fuels your passion? What, what frustrates you? Some of those things God can use to get our attention to put us in a place where we can walk out the call that he has for us. I have also heard before in conversations where uh, I talk to people and, and particularly a friend who's a real good friend and we're, we're real open and honest with one another. And he said to me in the past, you know, I try to, to avoid some looking at, to, to avoid certain situations or um, giving too much attention to certain situations just in case God calls me to be part of that solution. And maybe we won't say that, but perhaps sometimes we rather ignore or just pretend that it's not happening or let it build up like the rubbish bin until someone else comes along. But what if God is actually calling you to be part of that, to be part of that solution? And it could look very different for all of us. What if God is calling us as a community to be part of the solution in this community? To be part of rebuilding and restoring, which is what we felt you know, in uh, Isaiah 58. Some of you will be repairers and restorers of the community. What if God is calling us to be part of that? Maybe it's things that you've been through. Maybe it's the, 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 the pain that you felt in the past and, and, and you've journeyed through it and you've overcome and now you're like, I don't want others to go through this, so I'm going to give my life to helping them, to journeying with them, to equipping them. I don't know what it is, but I would say just pay attention to what grabs your attention. Here, here's the next thing. Let devotion feel, fuel your motivation. Let devotion fuel your motivation. There is a lot of need in the world. What I'm not saying is that we are called to the need. We are called to God who then directs us to need. The need is not the call. The call of God is the call. And the call of God will often lead us to the need. So whilst the need might get our attention, it is our devotion that should be the motivation. Otherwise, we have frustration. I'm rhyming all these words accidentally. It's a gift. <laughs> Let devotion fuel your motivation. What did Nehemiah do with, that, with that, that, that grief? What did he do? In verse 4, it says that he fell. He sat down and wept. In fact, he, for days he fa mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said... O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. What did he do? He went to God with that. He didn't just step out to go and start rebuilding. 
He took that to God and offered it to him so that he could speak to him, so that he could direct him, so that he could lead him in that. Let your devotion actually fuel your motivation. The devotion to God to serve him, to to be faithful to him, and then let him direct you through that devotion. I love this prayer. Anyone else read this and just think, what a beautiful pattern of prayer. In despair, he starts with praise. He's not overcome by, by, the, by the, the situation. In fact, he starts with praise. Oh God, O oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Praise, which then moves into confession. In his prayer, he, he, he opens himself and says, I confess that we have sinned against you. He doesn't abdicate the responsibility to other people. Oh, my people, they, they sinned against you. They turned their backs on you. In fact, he, he includes himself in the prayer and says, we have sinned against you. And so we confess. We've sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations which has taken place. But if you return to me, if you return to me, if you repent, if you turn back to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. O Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Can you see what happens here? Nehemiah has this burden. He, 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 he grabs his attention and then he goes to God. He gives praise to God. He confesses the sin of the people. And then it says, and if we return to you, if we turn away from our ways and we come back to you, then you will bless that and you will do something. Can I tell you, if, when God wants to turn around a situation, he looks for who's willing to turn around themselves. He looks for who's willing to be turned around, to, to turn in repentance. Before God brings revival, God calls for repentance. And repentance has become like a word that uh, you know, almost is out of fashion. Or almost uh, you know, people don't like talking about it because it has this bad connotation to it. Repentance is one of the most beautiful words in, in the language that we have. If you understand what repentance is, repentance means to turn away from and turn to. A changing of the mind. And so if someone is walking in the wrong direction, in a, a direction that is bringing, going to bring destruction and death, then to, to repent of that, to turn from that and turn back to God, it's, it's not a bad thing. How could we ever consider that to be a bad thing? If anything, that is a great thing. That is a beautiful thing that God gives the opportunity for us to turn away from destruction and turn back to Him. And so if we shy away from, from conversations like this where uh, we, we need to turn from this and turn back to God, then we're actually, I think we're robbing people 
of the opportunity for restoration. Before he turns around the situation, he often wants people to turn around in repentance. Before the nation is turned around, it requires repentance, turning away from our own ways and turning back to God. Relationships are like this. Restoration in a relationship requires repentance. That someone has to turn from one way to turn back to God's way, honor him in that, which will bring back restoration. He turns back to them and he he says, we're coming back to you. Oh Lord, hear our prayer. Hear this prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to you. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Let that devotion fuel your motivation. Go to God with, with, with the concerns. Bring it to God and allow him to direct you in that. More than what, God, what you can do for God, God is interested in, in intimacy with us, in relationship with us. He doesn't want us to just be robots that work, work, work. He wants us to be in relationship with him. And let, let that relationship then fuel our ministry. Let it move us to, 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 to the work that he's called us to. If we, if we hold on to the need itself as the motivation, then that, that leaves us open to just frustration, to pain and, and to even more disconnection. So let God fuel your motivation for ministry, for life, for whatever it is, for your, for your marriage, for your, your family. Let God fuel that. Go to Him. Ask Him. Show me, God, how do you want this to work out? And so He says to the Nehemiah then says to him, uh, Put it in his heart to be kind to me. Put it in the king's heart to be kind to me. We fast forward. Here's the, the, I'm going to only have three things here. Uh, the last thing that came from Nehemiah chapter 2, it's a phrase that we see twice in Nehemiah 2, but at least five times in Ezra. And it's in verse 4. Starting in verse 4, it says, Nehemiah went to the king. The king asked, how can I help you? With a prayer to God, the God of heaven, I replied, If it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, How long will you be gone? When will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, If it pleases the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asap, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for the house and for a house for myself. That's pretty nice. And the king granted these requests, listen to this, because the gracious hand of God was on me. The king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. Here's the other thing we see in Nehemiah. Look for the gracious hand of God in your situation. Look for the hand of God in your situation. Nehemiah, he says this. This is his testimony. This is him writing out what took place. And I think he wanted to make sure that it was clear to everyone else that the reason this was granted was not because he was a great speaker, not because he was a great motivator, 
not because he had an awesome plan and a strategy to, to present to the king so the king could give him the funds and the, and, the, and the things that he needed, but because it was the hand of God that moved on the heart of the king to release to him what he needed. I reckon Nehemiah understood this, and I reckon Ezra understood this, that even though they had books in the Bible, even though they, had, uh, they now have a story that is named after them, that their story, their little story, their little book is actually part of a bigger book, part of a bigger story. They play a small part in a bigger story. And I reckon Nehemiah wanted people to understand that it wasn't actually about him at all. That what took place in his life was not because of how good he was, not because of the abilities that he had, not because he could communicate and motivate, which we see that he could do, but it was ultimately because God's gracious hand was upon him. And his hand was upon him to fulfill his purposes, not Nehemiah's pleasures. His hand was upon him to fulfill his purpose. And Nehemiah recognized that. Ezra, over and over and over again, recognized it. This took place because the gracious hand of God was upon me. This happened because the gracious hand of God was upon me. I saw this take place because the gracious hand of God was upon me. We got little kids. And so I can tell where they've been. One, by the, the trail of destruction. But two, because there's fingerprints everywhere in our house. If you look at our TV when it's not on, you will see that it looks like someone's finger painted it. If you look at our table, you will see that there's just food that's been strewn and, and there's fingerprints of food everywhere. There's just fingerprints everywhere. Because we've got kids. And kids like to leave their fingerprints. If you step back and you look at life, you will see the fingerprints of God all throughout your life. If you look back at situations that you've been in, you will see the fingerprints of God in those situations. But it's often not until we've been through them that we realize that he was actually working in that situation. And we look back and think, oh, I saw how you did that there. I didn't realize it at the time, but you were working something for good. I, I, I didn't see it. I didn't feel it at that point. But now I can see your fingerprints are all over my life. There's evidence of grace. There's evidence that your hand has been upon me this whole time. And so I would say rather than waiting till we get through it to realize that he was there, look for the hand of God in your situation right now. And maybe it feels so dark. Maybe it feels, I can't see anything. And we need some like night vision goggles to be able to see where God is moving, to see what he's doing in that situation. But look for the hand of God in your situation. Nehemiah, step back. He must have understood what had happened for them to get to this point. Read the start of Ezra. It was God moving on the heart of, of, of a, a king of a different nation that ended up releasing the people to go back to build, to build their hometown, to build their home. It was God moving on, on the heart of, of a king that wasn't in relationship with him, but understood that, that something was happening, that he had to release these people. And it wasn't just one king. It spans through four kings to get to Nehemiah. Four Persian kings carry out the mission of God by releasing different people at different times so that they could be in the place that they are now. 
Does this not scream of the sovereignty of God? The, the, the power of God that, that he could work through anyone in any position of power. That he could work through prime ministers, through presidents, through, through, through kings of that time. That God can bring his will and his pleasure and his purpose through anything. Surely that gave Nehemiah the faith then to, to say, Okay, I can see your hand at work here. So I'm going to actually ask King Artaxerxes, could you please help me with this? Give me a letter so that I won't get attacked on the way. Give me a letter so I can, I can tra- travel safely. Not just a letter, but I'm actually going to need some timber too. I need a bit of timber. I need some wood so that I can start to build. And I'm going to build my own house as well. And if you read on, you see that the king not only granted this, but he gave more. In Ezra... The king actually funds the, the building of the temple. He gives, he gives to that. God can move on the heart of anyone, the hand of anyone. When his hand is on something, he can release something into it. It's amazing for Nehemiah to step back and just think, wow, God's at work here. Because they seem like pretty audacious requests to me. To, to come before the king and say, you know, oh, I'm going to need this and this and this and this. You reckon you can help with that? You know, grace opens up the opportunity for God to do something. Grace doesn't necessarily mean, when God gives us grace for a situation, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be easy. We may, may confuse that, that grace means ease. Grace makes things possible. The grace of God opens the door for something to happen. Nehemiah, as we read through, we'll see that there's opposition, there's difficulty, there's discouragement. There's moments when, when, when things don't look great. But the grace of God, God's hand upon them, opened the door for them to be able to walk, for them to be able to, 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 to rebuild. I reckon Nehemiah understood as well. In the, in the end of chapter 1 there, he says this, In those days I was the king's cupbearer, watching the hand of God, seeing the hand of God, that somehow I've ended up in this position where God has, has allowed me to serve this king. We don't read that, that Nehemiah uh, strived to get this position. We don't read that he, he tried to, his hardest to strategize and to put himself in this position. But he recognizes that somehow God has positioned him as the cupbearer for the king. And in his positioning, he then has proximity with the king. He has relationship with this king. To the point at the start of Nehemiah 2 that the king notices what, hang on, you're not looking like you usually look. You, you look deeply distressed because he's in proximity of the king all the time. What was the king's cupbearer for? To taste the wine, to see if there was poison in it. And so if there was poison in that wine, he would die before the king did. So he would taste the food, he would taste the wine. And he'd be, he'd be in proximity of the king. Because if they wanted to assassinate the king, then they would put some poison in there and, and, and kill him. So Nehemiah's job was literally to taste that, to make sure that it didn't kill the king. So if he did his job well, he could have lost his life. But he recognized that God had moved him into this position for such a time as this. Maybe we miss that with our lives. We, we think, I don't know why I'm here. I'm not sure why I'm in this place in life right now. 
But what if God is, is somehow orchestrating something to bring you to a place where he can move you into, into your destiny, into your calling? I'm not sure why I'm in this job. I'm not sure why I'm in this family. I'm not sure why I'm in this neighborhood. Maybe God's positioning is actually intentional. I'm not saying that he's, he's made everything happen to you that's happened to you to bring you to that point, but he works within those, those parameters. He works within those movements to bring us to the point where our position is where he needs us to be. Nehemiah recognized it. That was my position, and my position put me in proximity with the king, so the king saw what was on my face. Maybe we reject that. Maybe we're not happy with where God has us. Maybe we're, 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 we're just confused about what God is doing. And maybe he's trying to position us in the right place for the right time. See, this couldn't have happened if it took place 20 years before. Even if Nehemiah had the same strategy, the same disposition, the same motivation. Because they were still in that exile period. The 70 years hadn't been up. So Nehemiah was in the right place at the right time. And maybe you're in the right place at the right time. As messy as it can look, as confusing as it may look, as uh, I'm not sure what I'm here for, maybe God is just positioning you. I am more and more convinced that, that, that it's not accidental that anyone is in this room today. Think about, and I, I'm not good at maths, but think about the... the How would it be for every one of us to accidentally live the lives that we've lived to bring us to this point today? Some of us have come from different nations. Some of us were, were um, born in different states. Some of us have grown in different areas. And to, to be here today, what is the chance that that could all just happen to bring us to this place today? What if God is, is positioning us in a place where we can be part of the rebuilding? Nehemiah somehow looked and saw, hang on, God's hand is upon me. Look for his hand in your situation. We see then uh, in Nehemiah 2.18, which was read before, that Nehemiah goes back and he starts to inspect the walls and he starts to talk to the people and starts to, to tell them about the vision that he has. And it says to them, in verse 17, sorry. But now I say to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and, it, and end this disgrace. So he talks to the people about what the vision is. This is what we're going to do. We're going to get together and we're going to rebuild. Verse 18. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been upon me and my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. What was it that, that actually motivated them to move? I think part of it was the vision, but the big part was God's hand is in this. They could see by hearing the testimony of Nehemiah that God's hand was in it, that God was working here, that he worked on the king to, to, to resource, that he'd worked on the king to, to give access to this. God's hand was upon it. And they listened to that testimony and they heard how God was working in the background to make this happen. And then they said, yes, let's do this. I'm in. I'm ready. 
Not only are we called to look for the, the hand of God in our own situation, but help others to see the hand of God in theirs. Maybe you're here to, to help someone else see God's hand at work in their, in their relationships. Maybe you're here to see someone else, to help someone else see the hand of God in, in their workplace, in their family, in whatever it may be. Nehemiah told the people, God is at work here. And that work gave them courage. It gave them faith. It motivated them and mobilized them to move to start to rebuild. Look for the hand of God in your life, but also watch for the hand of God in others. And help them to see and point them to Jesus. I've said this previously, the the best kind of counseling that we can do is to point people to Jesus. It's to connect them to Him so they can hear from Him. To help them to see that God is at work in their situation. That God is doing something in their situation. The gracious hand of God is upon me. The gracious hand of God is upon me. Why don't you say that to the person sitting next to you? We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au. Dot com.au.